0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 36 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so that we can talk about real-world software problems with people that face them. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave feedback wherever you curate your podcast, so we can bring content that matters and makes sense to you. As mentioned uh, in our holiday greetings, I've got Mike McCabe joining us for another round. and He's promised that he will be more and more active on this podcast, dropping Epic Security Knowledge from another security consulting perspective uh, so we can get some more viewpoints in here uh, beyond Simon and I. Simon's on a bit of a break at the moment, so we're going to just be all security all the time right now. Um, Mike, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to be on. I'm not sure if it'll be Epic Knowledge. It'll be something.
0: Well, you, you bring... You bring things to the table, and that's all we ask uh, is just keeping it real here. So, um, Mike and I did a talk at LastCon in uh, 2021. We're not sure when that video is going to hit, but um, you know, we we talked. We had a big Simpsons-themed uh, talk about just trends in finance and some of the organizations that we've worked for and with uh, in the consulting world and how they've progressed over time. And I thought it'd be pretty cool to just have a short conversation around, you know, 2020 into 2021, you know, how, how organizations have progressed, uh, if at all, like the security industry in AppSec, how we view stuff, um, you know, what's hot, what's not now, are we doing better? uh, You know, things like that beyond finance. So we have some of the some of the things that we've um, talked about in that talk, like infrastructure as code and the complexity of cloud and how organizations have done migrating to the cloud and how mature they've gotten. Um, but you know, I think it just having a more informal conversation about that might be, might be fun. We'll see where it goes. Hopefully it's entertaining at the very least. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we've, we've lightly prepped, we've got drinks in hand, We're ready to, to rock and roll with, um, with trends in the security industry of AppSec and cloud uh, in 2021. So Mike, I'm I'm gonna just throw it over to you, man. Like, uh, what is what are you working on most these days that's, I guess, maybe not cutting edge, but just the most um, progression you've seen? Is it that infrastructure as code stuff? Is it something else, um, you know, testing or maturity models or threat models? You know, what is it that's sort of, you know, making progress in 2021?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I guess I would say first answer is nothing is even. It's very, you know, there's progress here. There's people taking steps back in other areas and kind of, you know, progress doesn't move evenly across all industries in all ways. But, you um, know, I've been looking to work with some interesting clients and we kind of talk about some of our experiences that doing work with interesting clients during our talk. And um, it's been... Working on kind of multi-year projects, it's been interesting to see that change uh, that they go through, especially since most consulting gigs are usually pretty short. So I've been lucky to work on some like longer gigs where you can see the the kind of cultural and process and technology changes over multiple years. Um, and I'd say it's, it's interesting to see how much work and the amount of automation that's been done around things like cloud security. Uh, it's been an area that I've focused a lot in. Um, I think it's been good to see that no one, I think in the AppSec world, a lot of people just said, I'm going to throw a lot of people at at this AppSec problem. I'm going to get a lot of testers. I'm going to get a lot of code reviewers and we're going to solve our security problems just by throwing bodies at it. I don't see the same thing happening in the cloud space as much. I don't see people saying like, I'm just going to hire 30 cloud security testers to come test every single one of my accounts every week. They're doing things in a much more automation first manner, I think because a lot of people realize they couldn't possibly tackle it just by throwing people at it. So I think that's a really positive step that, you know, somewhere along the line, people have realized that you can't fix infrastructure by just throwing people at the problem. Um, So that's been a really positive step. And that's something that's an area where I think AppSec is still catching up. I think there's always going to be a use for people doing, you know, the things that we can't automate well. But I think there's so much work in the security industry that can be automated that we still just kind of put people at and then we complain that we can't hire good people to do. So I think cloud, based on the fact that everything's APIs, everything's usually automated, um, really semi-automated, I think people are taking the same kind of tact uh, with security in that realm. So that's I think that's a really positive thing.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think one of the, we talk about sort of the human element of security a lot on this podcast and how to develop those relationships and cultivate that. And one of the, one of the major things is that drives that I think is that you're right. We don't have, I mean, forget plugging holes with bodies. (laughs) Um, It's just, there aren't enough bodies to do that, right? It's a talent shortage we're constantly complaining about. And we want to say that that's, primarily because of education or, um, you know, just a lack of people and that's all relevant for sure. But, um, it's really like we need to enable other people to do this. Most security professionals come from other areas of the business and in a perfect world, I think that our strategy has been, we need to hire more, hire more, hire more. Um, but it's never, I don't think a business ever makes, um, that decision for security because security is always a cost center. I had a I had a conversation with um, a colleague recently um, who may be listening, and if they are, they'll know who um, who I'm talking about. But um, security as a revenue generator doesn't exist today, and we sort of got into a debate back and forth about that. And so, unless you're a security firm, and even then, most security firms are generating revenue through sales or products or something else. It's not like they have a their security team is still a cost center. And so until we get to that point, I don't think we're ever going to staff up security to a point that is equal to development or equal to other areas of the business. So we have to do these things that are either using other teams or developing tools or automating and doing something to sort of shorten the gap between uh, the talent shortage and like what needs to be done in security. And I I think that focus for me is a part of everything that you've talked about, the infrastructure as code, the automation, you know, how do we get ahead? How do we do more with less people basically?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think cloud and I, you know, I say this in the talk that we do that cloud is like a huge security opportunity, uh, I think because Everything is data driven. Everything is API driven. So you can just, you know, you say what the target state is. You write code to say if something is the target state. If it's not, then you, you know, you'll work or you fix it. AppSec, we have, we have, you know, we're kind of halfway there with different tools. You have all the, the SCA tools that do a decent job with looking at source code and finding issues, but there's so many false positives. There's so many issues with those tools. Um, you know that's why you see like the prop- popularity of Semgrep uh, coming up because it's so much just more simple. You might not have a rule set with twenty thousand Java rules, but that just means that for the hundred you do have, they're higher quality and just less to dig through. So I think in that way, cloud security like is just more automatable. But there are things in the AppSec world that I think you can still automate. And I, when I talk to AppSec. Teams who I think are doing a really good job, their focus is automation first. Like they're thinking about what are the things that we do on a day- to-day basis. And if we're doing it you know more than twice we'll just automate this and make this a service available to everyone in the company versus just let's try to scale up to do all these things,
0: yeah. I mean, I also think that there's an interesting dynamic between uh, cloud and infrastructure and and application development. So uh, if you look at the trends in, where some of the clicks not code uh folks are going or like you know salesforce apps or drag and drop applications uh even if you go a little bit further back into crms you know joomla drupal Sitecore, all those things that are enabling folks to do things in a more like structured manner in terms of developing content it's almost looked down upon in app in appsec or in applications whereas in cloud the more automatable or more structured your cloud can be uh, the better. And so mm-hmm. I think security is really driven through that structure. But we're still at a point where, and I, I don't know that we'll ever get out of that, because there's something about the flexibility of raw code uh, that, that people really love. And that's what generates all the great stuff that application security is never really going to get in front of, because we're constantly developing new languages or fixing old problems or new problems and further abstracting things that we're... We're always going to have to deal with a flexible method of delivery in terms of code versus something that's structured and very easy to predict and i think that cloud has moved infrastructure into this more predictable area where it's easier for us to apply security to that and the code uh, that is being generated from that your infrastructure as code is also more structured that's why you know terraform has its own language cloud formation has its own language there are these structured things that are less intentionally intentionally less flexible um by their own admission than trying to do that same stuff in python. And I think that um those that dynamic of like what's accepted in infrastructure as code versus what's accepted in application development have a huge impact on how we approach security in both of those worlds. I don't know, agree, disagree?
1: Yeah, no I agree. I mean, yeah, you think about it, like you take AWS Fargate, you know, people are going to be like, why do I want to spend on my own EC2? I'll just use Fargate, But AWS worry about all the underlying stuff. Whereas developer might be like, you know, I could use a library, but why don't I just write this thing? Because I'm a code artisan, so I need to practice my craft. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I agree. Like, it's kind of, if you're a developer, a developer, you're not going to, your job is to write code. It's not just to kind of plug things together, even though, you know, just using libraries or plugins might be a better solution for some things, um, but it's their job to, to build things. So I think they're generally looking at how do I build something versus how do I just plug some things together? Um, so yeah, it is that like build versus buy kind of mentality that people in the dev world, I don't think have adopted nearly as much, um, compared to the infrastructure world.
0: Yeah. Agreed. So, um, one of the other things you mentioned that made my ears perk up a little bit was nothing is even. And I wanted to expand on that because I I wasn't quite sure whether you meant across industries, nothing is even, or like across the SDLC, nothing is even. And I have my own sort of uh, interpretation of that, but I'm I'm just curious what you meant initially.
1: My answer to that is yes.
0: (laughs) So what are you seeing? Like when you say it's uneven, can you expand on that a bit?
1: I mean, I think it's... I think different areas of security move at different kind of paces, you know, security is such a wide thing. It can, it means so many different things, network security, AppSec, infrastructure, um, compliance, so many different areas that kind of fall under the security umbrella. So different things move at different, um, speeds. Um, I think I work with some startups where they, I think because they adopt newer technologies, um, Sometimes they just get security for free more than the traditional, uh, traditional you know larger enterprises that have large uh, software development groups. Um, So like again, if they just say, all right, we're not going to use EC2, we're just going to use ECS Fargate. All right, now we don't have to manage hosts, so we got that out of the way. Um, We're going to use a newer framework um, that has a lot of kind of things built into it that is more secure. I think that's kind of where I see some issues not pop up in those kind of industries or those smaller companies because they're using newer technologies. Whereas larger firms, they're going to be more mature and say like, they'll have a data handling process. They'll have, um, you know, tagging processes. They'll have patching processes where a startup won't have that kind of thing in place for the most part. Um, So there's, it's like startups don't necessarily have the same level of maturity, but sometimes they just don't have the same number of problems. Despite having, you know, uh, the same kind of mix of technology, or the same needs of technology, um, and then yeah, I think, I think infrastructure is, I think it's moving at a faster pace when it comes to security. I think again, infrastructure and security work together really well, in my opinion, because you just, you say what are the patterns that you want to adopt, and then you say how do I make these secure. Whereas I think AppSec is still kind of coming in from the outside, trying to influence development groups. And there's still kind of the, um, you know, the people with the penalties that say, this is wrong. You have to take time out of your sprint to fix this. It's, you know, 2 a.m. There's this major issue. We have to come and, you know, jump online and fix this kind of issue. So I think there's there's still this outside in kind of view with AppSec that you don't have as much in infrastructure from, from my experience, at least. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the difference that I see. So AppSec is still kind of being forced on people, I think, a little bit. It's not being adopted as much as I feel like security is being adopted in infrastructure. Um, yeah. No one's just going to say, yeah, let's just roll out an EC2 with port 22 open to the Internet. Let's roll out, you know, an RDS on the Internet. It happens, but they don't do that intentionally knowing that, you know, um, that's going to be out there.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think, um, I mean, I have... I. My what I've been sort of claiming the reason is or what I am theorizing the reason is, is just how application security is approached when it comes to how people measure their security programs. So we had talked about this uh, a bit in the conversation before this, but um, like when you are looking at application security and you're measuring, you're defining your KPIs or is our application security program good? usually it falls into the context of like, are we PCI compliant? And what is, what is you know, how does PCI view the AppSec program? Or are we ISO 27001? And how does it view the AppSec program? And that can really depend on your auditor, which is why I think, you know, everyone that comes on on this show, at least is like, we don't like compliance-driven security. But I think one of the things that we, I don't know wh- how we got into this as an industry, but one of the things I notice is, when it comes to evaluating compliance, usually auditors are looking for like some sort of evidence for like, you know, do you handle identity well? Like what's your IAM policy? How how often do you rotate passwords? When do they expire? Like, you know, do you encrypt or hash these passwords or like whatever the the requirements are, whatever compliance framework, or whatever it is. And then the evidence that we provide is infrastructure based because that's what we know. And so they're kind of back to your point of like infrastructure being further along, or we, we look at it, it's a lot easier to show that or whatever it is. But then when you look at all of the applications, no auditor is actually looking at like how identity is handled in every single application in your infrastructure. And because we're only showing evidence for like the small sort of snapshot of the organization, it's like application security gets lost. And then when we come to the application security section, I'm doing air quotes for those that cannot see me, which is all of you. Um, You know, it's like, do you have an AppSec program? Does someone, is there someone dedicated to it? How often do you scan? And do you address your vulnerabilities, you know, in a timely manner or something like that? Mm -hmm. And so you're like, yes, 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 yes. And then my application security program is great. Um, And then you have free tools like, Uh, OWASP SAM that will tell you these things, but because they're not driven by an auditor or by finance or by legal, they don't get as much attention, even though they might deserve that attention. So I think really it's like we need to look at application security as a part of the whole. Like when we look at data encryption policies, that extends into AppSec. You can't just like isolate applications and your whole product and then solve data encryption everywhere else. It's got to be mm-hmm. a part of it. So all those same policies will help you um, when it comes to compliance. You can use that to drive security as long as you're internally looking at it in like the best possible light. Like You're using that to help your security program as opposed to check the box, right? Yeah. And how many organizations are doing that? I think we're getting a bit better at uh, looking at things that way, at least from organizations I've talked to recently. But I still think we're in that mindset of like applications are these separate thing they have their own requirements they're like special little you know things that we have that have like all these um you know weird requirements and they have all this flexibility and so we don't fold them into the compliance infrastructure for whatever reason and i i like am so baffled by that and how often we go that way um i'm not sure if you're seeing similar stuff um but that's that's sort of where i stand is like like let's incorporate apps into the whole thing um when we're defining requirements
1: yeah yeah i mean i think something that's that i think has helped that from kind of places that i've worked with um is is companies offering the secure compliant solution for things so like say that you you need to store you know ssn's or something like that The company builds a solution that everyone adopts that does things securely. And then the developer doesn't have to, you know, spin up, I'm going to do field level encryption for SSNs in my app and then do key management in my app to make sure that that key is being managed well, they just adopt a service and they don't have to worry about compliance. They don't even have to be like audited on this in the sense of how are you handling data, you just say, I use this to handle my data. And then there's another team who manages that they're responsible for the compliance. that service I think that's the way along with what you're saying is like that's the way to solve those issues is solve like solve them for developers and offer it as a solution versus saying like meet this meet this goal uh, or meet this like set of compliance requirements and then they're off on their own adventure writing code to try to solve this and you know typing AES into their um, field level encryption code and all those kinds of things so I think that's That's how I've seen those kind of issues solved well. Granted, that's then, you know, kind of pushing people into one way of doing everything, which some developers, again, are not going to like, because they want to create their own solutions and they want to have flexible solutions and um, all that kind of thing. But I think if you really have strong kind of compliance or data security requirements, that's what you have to do is, is give people solutions to how to solve those versus just pushing it down on them.
0: Yeah. I mean, what if you're the company writing the solution though?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Then you have to have your, you should have your stuff in order, but having worked with companies that do that kind of stuff, they don't always. So.
0: Right. I mean, I think we're always going to be in that. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, off offloading um, these things, but I do agree with you. I think that it's like standardization of an approach for things you don't want to deal with internally. Like, If you're a, I mean, we, you and I have both worked for fintechs a lot. Like if you're a fintech and your, your product is, um, you know, the next greatest, like, um, loan transferring mechanism, then focus on that mechanism. And when it comes to identity, you know, trust folks whose sole purpose in life and in business is to handle identity or handle OAuth or handle this, um, And then maybe if your organization grows and is bigger and is beyond the startup and becomes an enterprise, you can start taking specialists that focus in that kind of thing and do that. Um, But yeah, I agree. I think it's making a smart decision based on what's the expertise we have in house and can we develop this and be confident about it? And then um, what are our engineers going to adopt? Like if our engineers start working on a new, like, OAuth implementation, and we're writing that from scratch, and we are going to standardize that internally, do we have the resources to maintain that and the talent to maintain that? Do we have people that know that well? And if we do, maybe that's a good decision. Um, yeah. But if we don't, then what is what is the next best thing? Who can we trust to do this? You know, so I, I agree. Um, but you run into the supply chain issues there, right, is of like... <laughs> yeah. You trust um, everything else. else yeah so it's like yeah. how do you establish that trust and what do you, and how do you measure your vendors right how do you hold them accountable to to that kind of thing um i know what we we do a lot of open source and we sort of base things on number of commits and uh what the community looks like but what's the you know what's i don't know what's the metric you sort of consider when you're looking at stuff like that
1: um yeah number of stars on github <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> how many, yeah. How many favorites, how many follows?
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think that's, that's hard. There's some frameworks for those kinds of things. Um, I think, yeah, to a degree it's just like, you're kind of trusting things. If you're going to use open source software to a degree, like you start getting off the beaten path of the major libraries. Um, Yeah. And uh, I've seen some scary implementations of that where someone's like, yeah, I just found this, you know, front end library that works great for us. I have no idea who wrote it. The guy hasn't touched it in two years, but it's working great. It's exactly what we need. So we're going to go with it. And who knows if, you know, that guy's NPM or, you know, whatever credentials get hacked and push a malicious update that um, that I'm not smart enough to have a solution for that, but basically build your, trust metrics of what you feel like is good enough to to say you can use it and then stick to those and try to not veer away from that too much and start using random stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's true for open source. That's true for, um, you know, commercial products you buy, who really knows what some of those things I've done those third party audits and I'm sure you've done those too. It's like you scratch the surface with those companies and they're giving you the absolute best answers they can muster because they know that, you know, the deal is riding on, third-party review to make sure that they have the bare minimum in place but they will bend the truth to make sure that it sounds as good as possible even if it's not that great
0: yeah i mean one of the i hesitate to say this just because of the uh like number of uh the amount of flack i'll get but i'm going to do it anyway i mean for all of the loyal listeners out there that will hold on through this statement um is i like what the i like how the blockchain community handles this a little bit all right yeah, um, you did it. yeah i did it i did it i used the word i used the yeah um because they um i think that it's sort of bordering on the compliance thing right where a lot of the communities the new projects are looking for this badge of approval from somewhere and because there's no like PCI compliance or these official compliance frameworks, some of them use it in that way, but they get a security audit, make that audit public, let people look at the code, it's open source, and and you can use that. That's like a sort of a trust mechanism. I like. I don't like it used as a badge of approval because I mean, you and I know that depending on what set of eyes you put on a project, you're gonna generate different results in different time periods. How long did they work on it? Did they have two days, You know, eight mm-hmm. weeks? What did that look like? Um, So you don't, you know, unless you are getting a quality audit, you don't necessarily know. But I do appreciate the fact that the reports are made public and the status of those reports are available and everyone is contributing to it. It's sort of like the official bug bounty program. And I wish we did that more for like just general open source projects where like as an open source project, you could get a code review or, you know, a report Make that public and use that as not a badge of approval, but just like, look, this is what we're doing. This is what we found. This is what we fixed. You know, we're trusting the community and the people that we hire to make this a better product. I like that approach. I think that transparency helps the industry um, and helps you know everybody sort of contribute to that uh, because you can't. I mean, I know that there's like the secret sauce thing, and um, you know, if you put too many. If you're too public with stuff, then people can take that, take advantage of it. So, I mean, I get all that, but I, I I almost, I really like that approach uh, because I feel like, you know, the the longer we keep things close to the vest, the, the more they fester. You know, I think we've mm-hmm. all opened, anybody that's done a code review has opened that code that's like, you see the commits and there's like a thousand files that are, have last been changed eight years ago. <laughs> and you're like, okay, this is where I'm going to start, you know?
1: Yeah. So, my favorite is comments at the top of, you know, java files that have 2009 in them or something like that. That's when you know you're <laughs> in for a treat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, to, with a to-do in there from 2009. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so um one of the things i think contributes to this and we talked a little bit about is just like the the culture of speed and how um like we had talked about testing and how testing doesn't really is harder to do at speed or generating unit tests or things like that but I think everything is is really um trying to make security faster um I guess what's your take on that like are we how 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 do we approach speed and security in this new world? I, I say new, but it's you know we we're like years and years into agile and sprints and still fundamentally as an industry failing at it in security. So what's your perspective on how we increase the speed of security or, um, or change the, change the game? Like what are we doing wrong in terms of scanning uh, or anything in the SDLC that you're, you're seeing problems with?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's another, another tough one. Um, you really asked the, you know, you asked the hard questions. I'm trying to solve world hunger here.
0: I hit hard. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of two things i think expectations are always wrong for what security is going to accomplish i think people say like all right we have two weeks from launch you have two weeks to find everything wrong in this app so we can fix it before we go live you know have at it and security's like i've never even heard of this app before i didn't know this was going live um we have an intern he's available to do this review we'll get you a pdf in you know five days um so i mean i think setting expectations that that things are never going to be perfect to the businesses is, is definitely important. Um, you know, I think that that's very hard to do because as a security person, you feel responsible for the security of the product. So It's hard to be like, I might screw this up royally and uh, there's not much I can do about it. So, but I think it's important to, you know, there's a middle ground there to say, I can, I can do what I can do in the amount of time that I'm given. And we have to accept certain risks when we're doing that. Um, you know, it's like the, speed, cost, or quality, you pick two. Um, So, And people are generally uh, want all three. They don't wanna pay anymore. Um, So I think it's pretty hard But setting expectations. um, I think, again, automation helps a lot in that regard. We, anything that we do twice, we should start automating. Um, That's not always easy. And of course, automation takes time to actually build out and make sure it works well. Um, But I think that's, you know, that's another area. To, to solve and then just really focusing on the highest risk kind of areas that you can. There's some things that just don't matter nearly as much as others. And so figuring that out early and then spending whatever time you do have on it to, to focus in those areas. Um, but I, I always have the mentality of like, there's something you're not thinking about some like crazy off the wall security issue that's in your project that you have no idea that's there. That's just going to pop out one day. And that's just things are too complex, you don't have the amount of time. You're not smart enough, you know, all these things that, uh, that are kind of the ingredients for, for what we deal with, where eventually something interesting and risky is going to pop out. And I think that just, that's proven time and time again, like every open source project has some interesting, you know, high security bug, every company that I've, you know, worked with even ones that have really good security teams, like, yeah, something big pops out that no one saw before. So, um, I think that's another thing you just have to keep in the back of your head that, like, there's something that's going to be missed. And so be prepared to fix that um, and kind of understand uh, how you react to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i still stuck on the expectations thing. I think that really, um, really rang true for me because everything else that you mentioned, like around speed, cost, quality, um, just the – the talent that you as a as an auditor might have or as an assessor might have it really comes down to the fact that what is expected out of security automation is the same quality, speed and cost of what exists today. So it's like if you have a good scanning program and you're like I've I've churned through all the false positives, you know, I am like my my thing is tuned to the nth degree and like, I can run this scan consistently and get decent results every two or three months. And so I have all my low hanging fruit and stuff and I give, you know, I I set developers on the right path. And then your your organization is like, yeah, we're gonna move faster. We're gonna move to pushing every single day. Can you automate that to run with every commit? You're like, "Uh, no, Um, you know? So we have to sort of rethink like, what are we going to apply at speed um, to align with the, the development team, and I can take my sort of refined process and run that out of band. And we've talked about that on, on the podcast before. But I think, yeah, resetting expectations, like making sure that organizations understand that the dynamic of security changes—you know—with the speed of security. You know, what you're looking for, how you're looking for it, uh, where you're looking for it, all changes and. Is additive to the overall security process. It's not replacing your existing security process because there's some things we're just not going to be able to do um, as fast. Like these these large complex problems that come out are like years in the making. Right? People are looking at these like organizations trying to break in for years, months, um, and like are holding on to them for a long period of time. And then you know like the nation state stuff like it happens. And people think, well, why didn't you find that in your two-week assessment? And you're like, you know, these are teams of people, you know, attacking, you know, this specific, you know, thing, or have happened upon it in some weird use case. Like, of course, I'm not going to get to that in a in two weeks. You know, I'm looking at what 100,000 lines in two weeks. There's no way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, expectation. I have to. I have to like use that in some creative uh, client question. Uh, Without being like, well, what are your expectations of me? Because that's kind of, uh, that can instigate some violence, I feel.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, when I started doing consulting, I was always of the mindset of like, I have to find everything in this two-week period and be driven crazy if I felt like I didn't find enough during, you know, AppSec reviews. Eventually, you're like, I'm going to do the best that I can do. And that's going to be very good. But there's no way, unless you delay the project, you don't sleep for those two weeks, however long, however long the project is, you're going to find everything, you know, you're going to, in that two weeks, you're going to incrementally improve the security of their product. Um, but yeah, you're never going to find everything. Um, so.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have had some like interesting projects where it's like you can spend two weeks on 3000 lines and find like some really interesting stuff. Um, or you can spend like two weeks on 100,000 lines and you're finding like less interesting stuff, but more stuff. And mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, um, especially early in your career, you're like, you feel better about that 100,000 lines than like finding one good thing in like 3,000 lines. Because yeah. it's like, it's the quantity on the report. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I found a lot of things. So, you know, uh, and that's what that's what people look for because that's like, the audit, right? Yeah. We want to see if we have 50 things versus one thing. If we have one thing, we shouldn't really worry about it. Also it's high. Can you reduce that to like a low? (laughs) Is that like, is that possible? Yeah.
1: We don't consider this a risk.
0: Yeah. Um, so interesting. No expectations. I gotta, I have to keep like beating that in my own brain for a while.
1: Yeah. Um, It's it's hard to do. I mean, even an internal, when you're an internal person with a company, um, I think it's still very hard to do with that. You know, I think there's a the philosophy of like, oh, we don't have to worry about it. Security will find those issues where it's just, it's impossible, you know, so.
0: Cool. Well, look, you know, we're trying to keep these around 30 minutes and you've, you've said that you, you'll come on a, a few more times, maybe more consistently over time. So we can expand into some of these a little bit, but um, if I'm wrapping it up. It's set, you know. Share expectations with people. Um, Some trends we've seen just over time is like nothing is even in the SDLC across industries. But I feel like um, you and I are both seeing sort of progress in, um, I would say, like shared communication between development and security. I feel like that's getting better. I feel like we're doing that better. Um, And also just the consistency uh, and approach to infrastructure as code and carrying some of that AppSec knowledge over to like uh, the infrastructure as code knowledge. Uh, because it's, I wouldn't say easier, but a more structured method of applying these techniques. It's kind of easier to see progress in those worlds than in your traditional sort of app set, code reviews, things like that.
1: Yep. Yeah, I agree.
0: Cool. Well, look, uh, any, any last words on this, on this episode coming back uh, before we go into the new year in 2022?
1: I'm sure... 2022 will have so many more interesting and unique ways people get hacked. So plenty of work still to do. Yes.
0: That's a lot of repeated mistakes.
1: Of, that's my upbeat view of 2022.
0: Yes. Metaverse security. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the year of 2022. So I'm sure that there will be a lot of uh, repeated mistakes in a uh, different vertical for us. Um, so it should be fun. Um, yeah, man, look, thanks for uh, coming on again um, I'm looking forward to some future conversations that we can have, especially in, in these topics. Um, if uh, if it hasn't been posted by the time this thing goes out, please watch a talk, listen to Mike and I ramble on about cloud security. Um, and I'm sure that you'll see us submit that elsewhere and expand even further on that as like all the organizations that that feed that fire of content um, will continue to grow and and mature their security organizations. Um, so yeah, with that, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like what you hear again, like subscribe, uh, give us a shout on email, Twitter, um, or just on the website, uh, comments are also welcome. We'll get back to those as soon as we can. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.